Hi, everyone, um, and welcome to this session on getting a career in global development with Tony Senanayaka. Um, my name is Bridget, and I'll be the MC for this session. So we'll be starting with a 15-minute talk by Tony, and then we'll move on to a live Q&A session where he'll respond to some of your questions. Um, but now I'd like to introduce our speaker for this session. Tony Senanayaka is a manager at ID Insight and a recent MBA graduate from Yale School of Management. He was formerly a manager at Deloitte Tax Consulting and completed a Master of Laws focusing on international law and economic development, as well as a Bachelor of Commerce majoring in finance. Tony's passion lies at the intersection of, of economic development and public policy, and how to implement rigorously tested research in the field more effectively. Here's Tony. Our actions and choices over time shape and reshape our moral character. If you take nothing else away from my presentation today, I would just urge you to spend some time thinking about that statement, which was shared to me by Professor Anjani Jain of the Yale School of Management. Our actions and choices over time shape and reshape our moral character. I was drawn into a career in global development through personal experience, as I imagine many of you likely are as well. I was born and raised in Australia, However, my parents emigrated from Sri Lanka, and we would often make trips back to Sri Lanka to visit extended family and friends. During these trips, however, I was faced with a paradox. It was the paradox of why it was that I had such different life opportunities than those that looked so similar to me. And it's this paradox that has really driven me into a career in global development. I've had a very circuitous route to this point, and over the course of the next few minutes, I hope to share with you a little bit about my story, but also provide some very tangible steps that you may be able to take as a student, should you be interested in also pursuing a career in global development, a career that I would highly encourage you to undertake. I recently graduated from the Yale School of Management with an MBA, and prior to that, completed a Master of Law at the University of Sydney, focusing on international law and economic development. I spent around six years prior to business school with Deloitte, the global consulting firm. As I speak today, I'm sitting in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm a manager with ID Insight. I work with the Delhi team and hope to be able to make the trip over shortly. ID Insight is an effective altruism-aligned organisation whose mission is to use data and evidence to help leaders alleviate poverty worldwide. Now, in a more tangible sense, my day-to-day -day job involves interacting with various stakeholders, such as government ministries, philanthropies, foundations, and social entrepreneurs, to help them in using economic tools, including randomised controlled trials, process evaluations, monitoring and evaluation systems, machine learning, all with the goal of amplifying their impact. I feel incredibly privileged and lucky to be able to work in this space. And my ability to even work in this space is also derived from a lot of privilege that has been given to me in my life thus far. These include the support of family and friends, access to educational opportunities, guidance from various mentors, it is from this privilege where I believe there is a certain responsibility that is imbued upon us. It's with this perspective that I consider myself an effective altruist. 
However, before I dive in too far into my personal philosophy, I'd like to take a few minutes to walk you through how I got a job in global development and how you can as well. So my first experiment came between first and second years of my undergraduate, where I travelled to Sri Lanka to work as, a, uh, as an English school teacher. I travelled over there bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with all these aspirations of providing that missing piece for the students that I was working with. I remember on my first day at the school, I was sitting in front of the principal's office. He let me in and said that he was a little surprised to see me. He mentioned that he was actually expecting me next week, but no problem. A teacher had called in sick. He handed me a textbook, pointed me to the staff room, and from there I acted as a teacher to students between the ages of around 15 to 18 for the next three months in this rural village in Sri Lanka. These three months were some of the most challenging of my life. I had gone to Sri Lanka with all of these goals and aspirations of providing social mobility and opening a world of opportunities to these students through uh, providing uh, English skills. Instead, what I witnessed was a school that didn't have enough textbooks, that didn't have enough tables and chairs, that barely had enough teachers to keep the students within the four walls of the school. It was the first time that I was confronted headfirst with attribution bias. Attribution bias is a, a behavioural psychological concept whereby we impute our own views and perspectives on others. In this case, I had assumed or attributed my belief that what the students were missing were native English speakers who could provide that missing piece uh, of, of uh, education that would lead to social mobility and, and greater prosperity. When in real fact, what was really missing was just the basic enabling environment, the infrastructure, the school books. I returned to Australia after those three months, considering a summer as a complete failure, a waste of time. As I look back with hindsight, I realised that this experience actually led me into what I now consider core to my theory of change, the importance of systemic and structural transformations rather than necessarily short-term fixes. And it's with that perspective that I actually pursued a master of law. As I mentioned earlier, it was focused on international law and economic development. It's a two-year program and I really enjoyed the research, the ability to delve deep on a topic. There were many late nights, long weekends, where I'd be working on various research and classes. However, I was never able to really spark the underlying passion. At the end of the degree, it was very clear to me that I did not want to pursue a career in law. Once again, I considered it a failure at the time, such a huge investment. Think about all the opportunity cost of that time and resource spent on that degree. Once again, that active experimentation, I think, really did reshape my moral character. It also highlighted to me a couple of key elements to what drives me as a person. The first is my need to be viscerally and tangibly close to the recipients of the work. Secondly, how closely tied I am to empirical research and the struggles I face when often abstracted away um, from the challenges that I'm discussing. 
Soon after completing my Master's of Law, a friend introduced me to the book Poor Economics. Now, I imagine all of you, if not the vast majority of you, have probably heard of this book, but very quickly it was written uh, by Professors Esther Duflo and Abhijit Banerjee of MIT. They recently received the, uh, the Nobel Prize in Economics. And essentially it's a book that introduces readers to the concept of development economics, leveraging the robust economic tools with the purpose of uh, answering development associated questions. This book, without a doubt, was a life changer for me. The methodology and the robustness spoke to me. It really resonated with the way that I think. And it really highlighted one of the challenges that I've been facing in seeking to pursue a global development career. It highlighted that it was not so much a question of what, but how. So what do I mean when I say that? So often I hear the question, what sector are you passionate about? Education social security, public infrastructure. This book really highlighted for me that the question I wanted to answer was how. How do I want to use my comparative advantages and my skills and resources to try and drive the effective, impactful change that I desire? It's a theory of change question rather than necessarily a sectoral question. And it's with that perspective that I realised what skills and attributes and activities I needed to be able to pursue a career in global development. And to that end, I'd like to take a few minutes to just describe my own personal theory of change and how you can use a similar process to maybe answer questions about getting into global development and how you may be able to be most impactful. So on the screen, I've shared my own personal theory of change, a simplified version, whereby the input is my skills and myself in translating data and evidence into policy, the activity of having conversations with a wide range of stakeholders, leading to the output of evidence and empathy-driven insights for leaders, hopefully the outcome of structural long-term policy change, which in my view leads to effective impact, long-term data-driven decision-making that increases the capacity of decision-makers themselves. I would highly encourage you to take some time to think through what your own personal theory of change is. What inputs can you bring? What activities can you be involved with that will lead to the outcomes and the outputs that you desire? This may give you a greater idea as to whether graduate school is right for you, whether it's appropriate to take this class or another class or if you should get involved in a certain project. For me, this process of thinking through what my theory of change was really highlighted that graduate school uh, and a business school degree would make sense. There were three reasons for me. Firstly, the importance of on-ground experience. The second, the development of a deep network. And the third, the development of a private sector skill set that would allow me to have conversations and interactions with a wider range of stakeholders. I've put together a few more thoughts pertaining specifically to business school and social sector careers uh, that I'd be happy to share with you. In pursuing uh, any form of studies, there are three uh, major areas that I would provide as advice should you be interested in uh, getting a job in global development. Thinking through your future application, networking and publishing widely. 
So when I speak of thinking about your future application, I would recommend considering what do you want your resume or your LinkedIn profile to look like when you graduate, when you enter the job market? What skills, referees, uh, and other uh, attributes do you want to be bringing to the job market that will differentiate yourself and put you in the best position to actually get the types of jobs and access the types of activities that you believe are necessary to drive your impact? For me, I actively uh, sought out professors even before being admitted into business school to see if I could get involved in research projects. I incessantly followed up, but it led to opportunities to work on projects in Sierra Leone, Rwanda, Zambia, and India during my two years at business school. And I think that this was a real differentiator uh, when I was looking for a job. Global development employers highly uh, prize uh, practical experience on the ground. So to whatever extent you're able to build up those experiences while at school, it will give you a real leg up. Finally here, I've noted seeking experiences that are focused on implementation and execution. A lot of applicants often can write fantastic research papers and really understand the theory, but can struggle or at least struggle to show credible signals that they're able to execute and implement on these ideas in the real world. So to whatever extent you can start building that skill set out now while you're at school, uh, that would be a, a huge benefit. Secondly, networking. Now, I know you already understand that this is important given that you're at, uh, at a virtual conference. Think more broadly about networking, however. Think not just about potential employers and, and those above you in, uh, in the hierarchy, but also develop your network with your peers and also those who may be prospective students. Networking is a, a long-term activity. Uh, the networks and the the connections that you build now uh, will provide uh, a return on investment well into the future. To help assist with this networking, something that I find quite challenging, I actually created a spreadsheet and uh, set a goal for the number of people I would reach out to on a weekly basis. Now, that may or may not work for you, but I found it to be a very effective commitment device for myself. Uh, you can get involved in organising a conference. This is often a good way uh, to start conversations with people that you look up to. Um, rather than having conversations necessarily about job prospects, you're discussing things that the recipient is also passionate about. Finally, be active on various social media, particularly LinkedIn and Twitter. Unlike the six degrees of separation we often hear about, global development is a very small space. It's much more like two or three degrees of separation. So if you're willing to be active uh, in these various fora, you really can get to know a wide swath of the, uh, of the network. Finally, publishing. Strategic communication is key in the development sector. I would argue that writing is seen as the most impactful form of communication. And often speaking is preceded by having written on a topic. To that end, while you're at school, I would recommend setting up your own communication platform, be it through Medium, LinkedIn, even setting up your own website, and using these to actively engage with other members of the community. Put your thoughts out into the world. Write on the EA forum. All of these things will really build up your network and also 
uh, provide you with inertia towards uh, getting that job in the global development space. I've also uh, drafted some more specific thoughts should you be an undergrad, a business school student or a law school student. If you're interested in those, please feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to share. I'd just like to leave you once again uh, with the quote I started with. Our actions and choices over time shape and reshape our moral character. I highly encourage you to pursue a career in global development. We need more empathetic young leaders like yourself. Should you have any questions, please do not hesitate in reaching out. Thanks. Okay. Um, well, Tony, thank you so much for that really interesting talk. Um, it sounds like you've had a really fascinating career so far and it's really great to, to share your experiences. Um, and thanks also for joining us here for this live Q&A session. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. All right. Um, so uh, we might just jump it straight into the questions. So we've got one here already that um, is from somebody who's asking, as a student interested in global development, trying to choose between pursuing a more technical path, so, for example, water sanitation technology, or a more policy-based path, for example, policy analysis, do you have any thoughts on the impactfulness of either choice? Yeah, um, it's a good question, and not with the fear of sitting on the fence too much. One thing I would recommend considering is, once again, one's personal theory of change. So consider the type of impact that you believe you can make what are the comparative advantages and skills and resources that you have available to you? And through that theory of change, through the opportunities and activities you have access to, which one do you think you can drive impact through the most? So I could see that being through uh, a more technical-based career uh, and series of opportunities. There is a desperate need for that. Uh, and similarly, um, if you're interested in institutional decision-making or policy analysis, uh, there's similarly opportunities for that, but it requires the, the appropriate enabling environment to really drive that comparative advantage and input of your career to get to the impact. And so, yeah, my, my short answer is it can be both, but think about all the other aspects to get through that theory of change. Great. Um, so I've got another question here. Um, that asks, what's your view on the idea that broadly promoting economic growth is potentially a much more cost-effective, uh, sorry, a much more cost-effective method um, of, I guess, in uh, combating poverty uh, than um, than an RCT-proven intervention um, when it proved to improve quality of life in the adult? Yeah, and this is such a debate at the moment, and um, I'm glad it came up, sort of the random mace diversity economic growth. And actually, one thing that, I think about in this debate is, are we actually making a fair comparison? So when we think about randomized control style interventions, that's actually an economic tool, randomized control trials. The outcome or the output of that is some form of economic growth or improvement in lives. Uh, economic growth, however, is an outcome. So in this case, we're sort of measuring a, a tool against an outcome. And so it's not necessarily an apples to apples comparison. Um, Randomized control trial style interventions, or RCTs more generally, are a great tool for the right type of question. And so one thing I would encourage is thinking through what is the type of outcome that you're interested in measuring or pushing towards, and then using the right tool to get to that outcome. All of that to say, if we're thinking about short-term interventions versus more economic growth, long-term interventions, 
I do think that there's great opportunity and probably some low-hanging fruit in thinking through institutional decision-making and longer-term economic growth as a highly potential impactful, uh, you know, future. Okay. Um, that, that leads pretty nicely into another question we've got here about which areas of global development you might think, uh, that you think are most ne neglected right now. Um, yeah, are there, are there any areas that you think um, are, are neglected in the landscape? Yeah, so, so one thing that I'm personally quite interested at the moment in is around inclusivity and inequality. And so thinking through um, the great heterogeneity we observe within communities, be it at a district or state or country level, uh, a lot of focus is placed on uh, sort of maximising the min, sort of the Rawlsian concept of getting people out of poverty. And there's, without a doubt, a huge amount of importance uh, in bringing people out of extreme poverty and the suffering that's associated with it. However, I think there's a lot of work that has yet to be done in thinking through the impacts of inequality within those societies, even once individuals are brought out of poverty. Uh, a lot of the social and economic tensions that arise out of very, very serious inequality that we're observing in a lot of the, the global south right now. So that's an area which I would argue is a little under-researched and there's, I think, a lot of opportunity, uh, yeah, and, and time that could be spent on that. Yeah, that reminds me a little bit of um, the book The Spirit Level. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, but I think that picks up on some similar themes. So that might be one that we could check out. Um, okay, so I've got another question that asks, um, what are some of the most common reasons why global development projects fail? I think one challenge is short-term thinking. Uh, so to give you an example, I remember driving through a rural community in Sierra Leone last year and seeing these signposts one after another, 1985, 1990, 1995, all of these well-meaning projects and maybe well uh, was, a, was an accidental slip there because so many of them are often wells. That's sort of the example that's used. Um, that are so well-intentioned but didn't necessarily have uh, systemic or structural components associated with the interventions. And so I would argue one of the reasons is often a lack of follow-through. There's such great intention in these short-term interventions, but it's not coupled with a longer-term systemic or structural capacity building within those communities. And, and that's tough. That takes long-term investment. Um, you don't necessarily have a nice outcome measure in an RCT, uh, which you can put some p-value signs next to, um, but I would argue that that's what helps lead to really sustainable development. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ben. Um, so there's another question here that's, um, uh, I guess, asking you about the, uh, you know, the, the role that your experiences um, in the, the field had um, and mentioning that, you know, often your experiences didn't end up uh, taking you into the direction that you had expected. Um, but uh, so... The question is, do you think that those types of experiences are still valuable and people should still pursue um, or uh, is it not something that, that people necessarily need to go down? I couldn't encourage anyone more to take actions and choices in the short term on what they believe is sort of like morally correct or what they understand the world to be at that point in time. Um, 
I think that from sort of like a Bayesian perspective and updating priors, act on what you believe is right, but be willing to change, you know, Mm -hmm. be very flexible in changing that worldview. But I couldn't encourage, like even from personal experience, um, I think my ability to be dynamic and flexible in my career is derived from my willingness to take risk uh, and take actions and choices on what I thought was right. And maybe there's a certain level of hubris associated with acting on what you think is right. Um, But I think sort of as a longer term goal in trying to be impactful through one's career and choices, um, you need to have faith in that belief set. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, Well, I think that's about all the time that we have for for this session. Um, But I really appreciate you joining us, Tony. And thanks, everybody at home for, for joining us. But, um, yeah, thanks, everybody, for, for joining the session.